you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are looking at verses 1 through 3. Still. That's how I managed to get 400 messages on the World Wide Web. Six weeks on the word if. But it has been exhausted. Have a word of prayer. We'll read these first three verses and we'll pick it up and run with it, all right? What do you think? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I give all my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, love, it profits me nothing. Father, help us. Help us to hear what you say. Help us to bow before this. Father, this is not man-made. It's important to our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, help us surrender that we may know, we may understand. Open our eyes, open our ears. Carve this on the soles of our heart. Father, we may be people who desire you, who worship you, who long for you, who imitate you in Christ. Amen. I want to share with you a message from a, a friend of mine. Actually, this man is, uh, when we had the original Antioch meeting, This is the it was his church that we met at. And uh, it was Dr. MacArthur's first associate pastor, actually. It was a few years ago. <clears throat> and this is a message that he preached at his church. Um, I don't know at, at what point. It's something that I've had, and uh, it came to me as I was preparing this message and dealing with the issue of love. And that's really what we're dealing with is the importance of it. How important is it? I believe we're getting kind of get a little handle on that. But this is uh, John Barnett is his name, uh, pastor, teacher, uh, wonderful guy uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I do not hold that against him too much. So, um, I'll just, this is a quote. This is his message. I'll read this for you and you can hear the words yourself. Are you wearing your ID tag this morning? Jesus said in John 13 that each of his children have an ID badge. By this shall all men know you, you are my disciples. What is that ID? By what? The love we are to have. Are you wearing that badge in your marriage, in your home, in your family? It is of utmost importance that we do. While attending a university in London, Mahatma Gandhi the future leader who would sway the hearts of hundreds of millions of his own people in India, 
became almost convinced that the Christian religion was the one true supernatural religion in the world. Upon graduation and still seeking evidence that would make him a committed Christian, young Gandhi accepted employment in East Africa and for seven months lived in the home of a family who were members of an evangelical Christian church. As soon as he discovered that fact, he decided that here would be the place to find the evidence he sought. But as months passed, he saw the casualness of their attitude toward the cause of God, heard them complain when they were called upon to make sacrifice for the kingdom of God, and sensed their general religious apathy. Gandhi's interest turned to disappointment. He said in his heart, No, it is not the one true supernatural religion I had hoped to find. A good religion, but just one more of the many religions of the world. Loving one another is not optional. It is the way that all the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. Gandhi's conclusion is a sad but shockingly true reminder of the neglected power of the Christian family. This morning, in a very real way, the way you live, the way you talk, the way you respond to your brothers and your sisters reflects who you really are as a believer. Do you really love your brothers and sisters as God has placed all around in your life? God's plan for brothers and sisters are loving one another and God's method for brothers and sisters is to love one another in His Spirit. How are we doing with that? That's not a new phenomenon. Please understand, that's not a new phenomenon. That is what was happening in the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was self-centered. Spiritualizing what I call spiritual snobbery. The have and the have-nots. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing to you and I this morning in the 13th chapter in these first three verses. There is an importance of love. And he tells you that it's so important at the conclusion of chapter 13, he's going to tell us that all else is going to pass away, but love will never. And if we're struggling with it now, you're definitely going to struggle with it later. And yet the whole world around you is doing what? Looking for love. We have love songs. We have love stories. We have love movies. We have all of this. Why? The whole world looks for it. And God says, I give it freely. I give it freely. And yet I find a church here in Corinth, and, and it's not uncommon. Uh, the church in Ephesus was doctrinally sound. The church in Ephesus was reaching the lost. The church in Ephesus was raising up leaders. So was the church in Corinth. And yet the church in Ephesus no longer exists, nor does the church in Corinth. Why? There ain't no love. 
Those of you who come on Saturday nights know that I'm dealing with the the foundations of the nation of Israel. And yet we see a progression that continues on even to this very day and it's playing favoritism. It's a lack of love. Lack of love. I see blended families, what I call by blended families, stepchildren. Okay, and I watch people try to integrate that. I watch them take big hammers and try to make that sucker work. And, and, And it's the simplest thing in the world to do. Love. You don't love the child based on the condition of the child. You love the child. Period. Period. This isn't a new phenomenon. The problem is man has no ability to supernaturally love. I discussed this a little bit in this morning in my Sunday school class. Man's common factor that you always see is anger. Man is a violent being. He does not know how to Love. Man loves himself, and I will kill you to prove it. Look at it. Look at history. I I mean, have you ever thought about the Palestinian-Israel problem? You will take your children and strap bombs on them to run them into the bunch of children to kill as many of them children as you can. You know what's bizarre about that? Their relatives... That's Esau's kids killing Jacob's kids. But I thought blood was what? It's as red in a Muslim as it is in a Christian as it is in a Buddhist. That's what blood is. Man is a violent being. He has no ability to love. He can't do this. You will know my disciples how. Love. Why? Fruit of the Spirit is... Love, one fruit. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says there is one fruit. What is that fruit? Love. Out of that love will be peace and joy and patience and long-suffering and on and on and on. And it gets that thing, there is no law. Why don't you look around? These are your brothers and sisters. Do you love them as you love yourself? That's tough stuff. Here's what he says. If I have the best communication skills of any man and can even talk angel talk and I do it without love, I'm just noise. I am just noise. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You can have the gift of languages. You can even have the gifts to discern the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not have love, you are just noisy. Sharp, shrill, clanging. Then he takes it a step further. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I have the gift... In the power of God, the anointing of God to stand before and proclaim the heavenly truths of God. And I do it without love. Guess what? Zero. It means nothing. I shared with you two prophets last week. The prophet Balaam, anointed, gifted, and called by God. Did you know that? Did you know that Balaam was God's prophet? But he didn't love the people. He didn't love the people. 
I shared with you Jeremiah. He loved the people. The people who wanted to kill him. And finally did. And yet he would look at the people and say, Can we be saved? That was his passion. His love was for the people. I shared with you the single greatest battle that I fight with is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Sharing the truth in love. I know a whole bunch of people right now who love without truth. And you're condemning people. But I know a whole bunch of people who share the truth without love. That's my single greatest battle. That is the single battle that I fight on a moment-by-moment basis as I walk through life. It never is unrelenting. I cannot compromise truth. Nor can I compromise love. It's a balance. Try to do it. It's a blast. You've never had that much fun in your life. I guarantee it. It will stress you out. All you have to do is sit at the morning coffee table with your wife. Share the truth in love. I don't want to talk to you. Why? It's morning. Talk to me at 10. 10 o'clock I converse. Listen, I want to share with you something. The power of the message is not the vocabulary. The power of the message is not how clever you are. The power of the message is not its dictation. The power of the message is the genuine loving heart of the man and woman who has the message. Some of you guys won't remember it. I remember it very well. Uh, The little fiasco down in Waco, Texas. And our first question is, how do you get a bunch of people to go do that? I mean, just sell everything, start living together, and, you know, all of a sudden your spiritual leader says, but I'd like to make babies with your wife. Well, that's fine. And he did. And everybody's like, that's just great. How, how do we get that crooked? I mean, how do I, how do I sit there and say, you got a group of people who are husband and wives and the husbands are willfully giving their wives to this man to procreate. How, and now we got the military outside. How do you do that? You know what the common denominator was across every one of them? No one ever loved us like David did. What? He showed a sacrificial, unconditional love. Really? Then why would you take another man's wife? I just want somebody to care. That's all. You can have the gift of languages to speak every language of men and even the languages of angels. And you know what? Linsky wrote it this way. With the t- <laughs> a tongue without love is a snake. It hisses, strikes, and poisons with its venom. Unquote. Have you ever heard people talk to one another? I mean, people who say they love each other. 
I'm glad you love me. Have you ever heard it? And that's what he's saying. You can speak every language ever known to man and even talk angel talk. And you know what? You ain't got to love it. It doesn't matter. You can be gifted of God, stand before and proclaiming the power of God, the anointing of God, the calling of God, the word of God. And if you got love, you got nothing. Then he takes it a step further. It's accumulating. Look what he says next. Know all mysteries and all knowledge. It's accumulating. It starts with languages. Communication. Prophecy. Now, knowledge. What does he mean, all mysteries? What does that mean? What's he saying? Well, the term all mysteries in the New Testament is over 30 times you'll find it. Okay? I want you to pay attention to this because this is where a lot of the experiential church people get really twisted up. This mysteries is never, ever, ever in the New Testament used casually. And it is always used technically. All right? It is a divine truth that has been revealed in its glory in the New Testament. Okay? It is something that was hidden in the past. All right? And it is now revealed. All right? And let's be realistic. Cursory reading of the New Testament, you find it all over the place. This mystery has been revealed. And it's always a divine mystery. It's something that God had kind of hidden. And now it's seen. Okay? Um, The mystery of godliness. God in human flesh. The mystery of Christ in us. Emmanuel. Christ with us. Where? In you. The mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles, one new man. The the mystery of iniquity, which is already at work. You see it all over the place. Many things in the New Testament are called mysteries. Here's where I want to warn you and to guard you. It does not mean something that is now hidden. Okay? It's something that was hidden that is now revealed. That was David Koresh's ace card. You don't understand it because it is now hidden. Give me your wife and I'll reveal it. See what he did? Took the word of God and he corrupted it. We are the ones. Now, this is so amazing to me. We are the ones who know the sacred secrets of God. Do you know that it's been given to you to know? Let me show you a text. This is one of my favorites. Chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 13 of Matthew. Okay, the Jesus or the Jews have concluded, the Jewish religious insight people have concluded that what Jesus is doing is in the power of Beelzebub, the devil. That there is rocket scientist. Okay? And so Jesus starts teaching in parables. This is actually, if you want to look at it, this is beginning the condemnation of the nation of Israel. He is condemning them. Because a parable, if I don't tell you what it means, it is of no value to you. It's a stinking riddle. 
And you can kind of hang anything you want on it. If you don't believe me, go listen to most preachers preach a parable. They explain it in some mystical thing like it's a... Anyway, that's another issue. Look what it says. Beginning in verse 1. In that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him. He got into a boat. He sat down and a whole crowd standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold... We've heard this one. You've all heard this one. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds and fell aside the road. And the birds came and he ate them. Others he fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. What the heck does that mean? If you stop right there, what does that mean? I better be good dirt. Because if I'm bad dirt, it's going to get nasty. What does it mean? His disciples came to him. You understand what that phrase means? At a later time, they came over and said, we didn't get it. Why do you speak to them in parables? Now watch what he says in verse 11. Jesus answered them, What? To you. It has been granted to know what? Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... Did you read that phrase? It has not been granted. Why? They think I'm wounding this by the power of Satan. Now, I want you to read the rest of this because this is what you are as a child of God if that's true. The mysteries of heaven have been given to you. Did you note that? It doesn't say you have to go to college to get it. It doesn't say that you have to be a preacher to get it. It doesn't say you have to be an elder to get it. It doesn't say you have to be a Sunday school or VBS director to get it. It says, because you are a child of the king, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. You know what the key is? I'd read the book. It really helped me. Okay, and I pay attention when other people tell me they're telling me the book. And normally all I have to do is usually read the verse in front of or in back of. Here's what he says. For whoever has, to him shall be given more. All right, do you understand what he's talking about in the flow of the thought? The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He who already has will be what? Given more. Okay, he shall have abundance, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken from him. Bummer. And I have watched this. I have seen this. I've seen it played out. I have watched people who can walk the walk or talk the talk, have great theology, and just keep farther and farther and farther and farther away from the Lord. And it's taken from them, it's removed from them. The light grows dimmer. Remember in the the seven churches of Asia Minor and Revelations? He says, I will take your lampstand out. What does that mean? Well, ask yourself a question. If you put a little candle, a little lamp down on the ground, 
does it give off more light down there on the ground or if you put it on a lampstand? If I take the lampstand out, what happens? It sits on the ground. What happens? It will slowly grow dimmer and people will not be in stir- Look what he says here. In the case, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. This is God's judgment. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Who is this people? Israel. Dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand. With their ears, with their heart and return, I would heal them. You hear that? Blessed be your eyes. Because they see your ears because they hear. It's, it's one of the things... 1998, I went to a thing called the International Conference of the Bible. John MacArthur's study Bible had just come out, just being published, okay? Um, And they brought the big guns out. I mean, we were touting the Word of God, and that's why they call it the International uh, International Conference on the Bible. Why? It was Bible exposition at its grandest. I have never experienced anything like it. Uh, you had Adrian Rogers, David Jeremiah was there, uh, Joel Stoll, who was the president of Moody, was there, Don MacArthur, Stephen Olford were all there. And you know, to this very day, 1998, almost 10 years ago, I can tell you each text that each of them men preached. I can't even remember my birthday. How's come I can remember those texts? Because He has opened my eyes. He has given me ears to hear. And why? I will see the mysteries of heaven have been given unto us. I have people saying, can you come and make my people want the Bible? And I look at them and say, get them saved. Why? Do you know how easy it is to spot someone who's condemned? It's simple. Wow. That's impossible. No, it's not. Thessalonians tells me it's simple. Those who perish because they do not have a love of the truth that's to be saved. If you've got to force yourself into the Bible, you've got a serious love problem. That ain't complicated. I don't understand that. Why do I read that and say, that just seems really simple. Well, it's got to be more than that. Really? first letter of the New Testament. Paul didn't think it was that complicated. Jesus is coming back and those who are going to perish, guess what? They don't have a love of the Bible. Yeah, when I watch families say, you've got to make your kids have devotional time get into the Bible. No! I am going to do it. You really believe you can do that? You believe you can drive your children into the study of the Scriptures? Go ahead and knock yourself out. Can't do it. Why? Listen, if they're not excited that the mysteries of heaven have been granted to them, guess what? They don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. What are you going to do? Give them an eye or ear transplant? Can't do it. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Pray, God, you're going to have to help these children. And then you know what's going to happen? God's going to put a ton of whoopee on them and they're going to get driven to the scriptures. I guarantee it. You think I'm kidding you? Why did I get it in a book? I was 30-some years old, and I was sitting in a Toyota pickup truck. Everything I owned sat in the seat right beside me. I didn't even have to use the bed. At 30 years old, you're doing good. You're keeping it simple. God says, you want to keep arguing with me? You could take my pickup. (laughs) And I have to carry this stuff in some kind of basket. You want to see your kids saved? Do the thing that my mother did. God, you love them more than I do. Do what is necessary to bring them to you. Try that. Okay? But get rid of your 1-800 number and make sure your children don't have your credit card. Because God is about to shrink their economy. He has hidden it from the wise and the prudent. He had hidden it from the biblical scholars. And he began teaching in parables. And he says, guess what? You've been given ears to hear. You've been given eyes to see. But these people are dull. These people are dull. He says, there's many will be seeking me. Few will find me. Well, that don't sound fair. You don't want the fair thing. You want the grace thing. Trust me. Okay? If I've been giving these mysteries... Now, cruise over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 27, 28, 29. God has chosen Terry... God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those who are strong. And the base of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may what? Nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul says, I didn't come to you in superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming testimony of God. I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been revealed to us. A mystery is God's sacred secret. And they are related to His redemptive plan. His redemptive ultimate plan for humanity. How does it look? God has certain redemptive truths that He has revealed to you and I. He has revealed to you and I. You know what? There are other truths in redemption He has not revealed to us. Okay? Okay? So do we understand knowledge and mysteries? Okay, now take it back to what we were looking at. 1 Corinthians 13. 
and I know all mysteries and all knowledge. All right, let's assume something here. Let's assume that you know every single secret in God's mind. Let's say all mysteries, okay, all mysteries is all redemptive truth. You know who the final Gentile is that will be added into the church age. You know who will be saved and who will not be saved before they are conceived. You know every redemptive fact and you can perfectly connect it with redemptive truth. It all lines up. There's no mystery left. You know every single fact about God's ultimate purpose for time and eternity. Not only that, you can put them all in a line. Here's the plan. Then it has knowledge in there, gnosis, the accumulation of fact. Um, um, it's, it's that that will be ascertained by investigation. All right? You know, all this redemptive plan, exactly in line, exactly as he's going to do it. I can understand now through observation that every secret related to God's plan for all the ages, and I know every single fact that there is in existence. You know, like how many grains of sand are on the moon? Okay, I know this. I know every part of it. Every fact, every fact in existence, every mystery in the mind of God. Everything that's ever connected with redemption. I know every bit of it. Without love, it means nothing. Please, I hope you unheard that. I really hope you heard that. How important is love? To whom much is given, what is the responsibility to love? People who have all the doctrine, people who have all the system, people who have all the answers, who have all the facts, who have all the mysteries, and they don't love, they are nothing to God. In God's eyes, there are zero. In God's eyes, it means absolutely Zero. Love is superior to intellect. Let me ask you a question. This is the society you live in, right? Correct? I, I, I dealt with the definition of love. If you don't get that, get online. You have to sift through 400 sermons, you should feel to find it. Okay. We have PhDs. Right? Uh, Lanny's working on becoming a medical doctor. He'll be a PhD. And we have PhDs for this and PhDs for that. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody here seen a school who grants or a person who possesses a PhD in love? I didn't think so. It's all based on intellect, and that is what has happened to our value system. That is insight, my brothers and sisters, into what I call spiritual snobbery. 
Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? You know what that means, right? God's doing a lot of stuff and all of a sudden I'm getting the attaboys for it. Okay? Or do we need as some... Okay, you got that? Then what does he say? Letters of commendation to you or from you? You've gotten so big now that unless somebody comes from Corinth, unless somebody comes from your IE school of ministry, he is not valuable, he is not worthy. That's what Paul's arguing here. Look what he says. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Now look what he says here. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Okay, now I want to show this to you. And this, this, it takes a lot more than what I can give you in this time frame. But I want you to think about this. He is comparing something that is going on. Okay, what was the doctrinal issue that existed in the church in Corinth? There wasn't one. They're orthodox, evangelical, conservative, fundamentalist, whatever you want to call them. They had no problem. What was their problem? Self. What does self do? Kills love. Immediately. Just like that. It's gone. And what was going on? They weren't dealing with it. They weren't looking at it. Uh, we kicked that guy out of the church because he had his father's wife and the Bible says we got to get him out of here. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. But then he tells them, you need to restore them so they don't lose hope. Oh. What does that mean? Knowledge without love is what? Puffed up. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. It's just puffy. It just, it, it's hot air. Is the little Greek translation. It just, it's just a blowfish. It goes poof. You know, if you have a choice between learning love or learning facts, what are you going to learn? You know what? We're called to be living sacrifices. How do you do that? Well, says here, I'm supposed to memorize an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage. I need to pray five times a day. I don't have to look at Mecca, though, because that's all right. I'm just going to do this and this and this and this. And you know what? You're going to be hot air. That's all you're going to be. People come and say, well, I need to ask a question because you seem to have a something knowledge here. Therefore, and what do you do? Poo. I, 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 it drives me insane. 
That's what he's saying here. It is the letter written by the Spirit on the soul. How'd you do that? You can't do that. I mean, Jesus kept confronting the Pharisees. Let me tell you something. I've read some of the Pharisaical writings. These men had a view of God's holiness that would shame everyone in this room. They understood it. I read Gamali's writing in the Talmud. I was in awe of the man's understanding of the holiness of God. And yet when God stood in front of him, he was clueless. How can you know that much scripture? How much can you grab that much of who he is and be completely blind when he's standing in front of you? And you know what? Some of you in this room are the same way. You are completely blind to what Jesus Christ is. You got all kinds of facts. If I have a choice between learning to love or learning facts, I'm going to learn to love. Okay, now I want to give you a footnote on this because I don't want you to say, Terry says this, we just need to go love ourselves crazy. Okay? Ephesians 4... 15 says, truth in love. It's a balance. Okay? It is important to know things. Okay? I do not want to de- depreciate knowledge. Okay? Listen, God doesn't want a bunch of loving morons. Okay? Loving bunch of dummies. Okay? Um, I-, I see a lot of people who will love themselves into a whole bunch of error. Um, they, they, they love so much that they, they don't make any discrimination between what is right and wrong. Okay, so I'm going to close with two texts that I want you to look, look at and, you, and, and I'll kind of explain a little bit. The first one is out of Colossians. I have this text, uh, a little plaque up behind my office, in my, behind my chair in my office. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. And th- this is the thing, uh, this is the heartbeat of your pastor. Basically, we proclaim him, verse 28, Colossians chapter 1, admonishing every man and teaching every man with what? With all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which work, which mightily works within me. Got that? The word labor there means that I am stretching it and I'm sweating and I will even do physical injury to myself to do what? Know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Why? So I can present every man complete in Christ. How am I going to do that? Through the proclamation of who He is with what? His wisdom. His counsel. But I'm also doing it knowing that the Holy Spirit has put me in that place. And it is His power that gives the hearer the ears and the eyes to see what is being said. You got it? Okay. Now then, keep your finger in that one. Move to the left one book, chapter 1, verse 9 of the letter to the Philippians. And this I pray, what? That your knowledge and discernment does what? No. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more 
How? In real knowledge and all discernment. Listen, I, I, it is easy to get heavy on one or the other. It is easy. It is a piece of cake. I'd rather go hang out with the knowledge side. Why? It's just easier. Cut them up and let God sort it out. Okay? And then I see people who say, well, I don't get it on the love side. I just, I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to be reading my Bible every day. I don't want to be praying. Demon crickets, that's silly. I just want to love. Look at this church today and tell me I'm wrong. They go from one extreme to the other. And the balance is truth and love. Truth of the matter is, love is even better than knowledge. Okay, why? He doesn't say, you'll know them by their orthodox evangelical fundamental theology. No, you will know them what? By their love. But my love will be expressed because the more I know about God, the more I understand the grace that saved me, the forgiveness that I sit under, the majesty and and the awe that God has. And the more I understand that, how can I not love humanity? Why? He died for us. He died for us. But... I am striving to present every man complete in Christ. I am laboring at it, understanding that the Holy Spirit will do the work. I have a responsibility. In that responsibility, I had better have knowledge and I had better have some discernment. So God says, here's my word. Here's my word. I'll take you back to where I started. How can you say you're a Christian and you have no love for the Word of God? If you do not have a love for the Word of God, then all I have to know emphatically is that the love of God has not been poured into your heart. Why? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If you don't have a love for God... That's not quantum physics. That's logic. And if you look at the word, it is the word logos that we get logic from. So, do we understand the importance of love? If you know everything there is in redemptive history, You know every single soul that will be saved, that has been saved. And you know all the knowledge and facts that are in existence. You're really smart. If you have all of that and you don't have love, you're nothing. You're nothing. How important is love? What was tearing up the church in Corinth? Lack of love. What removed the candle stand for the church in Ephesus? Lack of love. When I see churches disintegrate, I know one thing is evidently sure. This one thing remains forever. Love left.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you've shown us that love is better than knowledge. And Father, I pray that we walk in the balance, the truth in love. Father, instill in your people a hunger for your word. Father, overwhelm us with your presence that we may love the way you loved us. Dying for us even though we were yet sinners. Dying for us even though we were enemies to you. Dying for us even though we had a hatred towards you. Father, thank you that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to your people. Father, it is through the foolishness of preaching that we gather this day to look upon you, your word, your power, your glory. In Christ's name, amen.